Hey, buddy, I hoid the droughts moving in, muscling in on your turf. To make matters worse, the man keeps telling you to limit your spigot. That drought is bad news, no fooling. But me and my boys can help. The water boys, on the water zone, Thursday nights at six. We'll help you protect your turf and save water. And hey, don't worry about it. Consider it a gift. Yeah, Louie, you heard the boss. We gotta listen in at 6 p.m. on Thursday nights. Okay, Vinny, you got it. The water zone, Thursday nights at 6 p.m. I'll tell our lawn it's now protected. You know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drop, about that drop. Well, good afternoon from the mountains to the desert to the oceans to all across America and back to beautiful downtown San Bernardino. You're listening to The Water Zone on KCAA 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. And also, if you like, you can go to www.kcaaradio.com and watch a live YouTube stream of the show. So welcome everybody to that. Uh, tonight is Ag Night. So Mike, also known as Mike, Mikeypedia, Baron, is off for the night. Uh, we have Miss Ingi Bisconer and Paul McFadden, who usually does the show with Ingi, is off on vacation. So I'm going to assist and help in uh, and ask some good questions. we got some great guests uh, from the Ag world. And uh, we're going to start bringing them on. Ingi, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Rob. Uh, thank you uh, for that introduction. And I'd also like to add that... Um, Tonight we're we're kind of mixing it up a bit, and I'm looking forward to it, and including both urban and ag leadership out of the Sacramento area. Both of our guests are out of the Sacramento area, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from them, one from uh, the city of Sacramento and the other from the California Farm Water Co- Coalition. And then we'd also like to talk a little bit about the California Irrigation Institute, whose venue is Sacramento as well, and both of our guests have been uh, actively involved with that. So it's going to be a great lineup, Rob. Absolutely. Hey, uh, I miss you when uh, I called into the show when I was on the boat. I was telling Mike if he heard me last week because we were having technical problems. I don't know if you listened in. Um, we had uh, 400 people on our ship in the dining room listening to the show when I called you guys in, so I appreciate that. And so we got 400 new listeners. So that was a, that was a great night. I didn't, know, awesome. I didn't know if you heard me. I, I, I was telling Mike the other day, um, you know, a bad thing happened. My wife lost a credit card. That's not good. No. And, you know, I thought about it real hard if I should call and let let the credit card company know. But, you know, I checked online. You can go into your bank accounts online and see what's happening. And I noticed something that was really interesting. Whoever took it spent a whole lot less money than my wife, so I just didn't bother calling it in. Oh, you're funny. No, <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you had a uh, good time on your ship. We had a good show, and uh, we'll have a great one tonight as well. Is William on the line? William? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Well, uh, William, uh, I think Mike's going to go. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Rob's going to introduce you, and we'll uh, go right into our visit. Excellent. Well, our first guest is uh, William Granger. Uh I'll go back a little bit in, in time. Uh, he graduated from the University of Florida with a bachelor's degree in geography. He also got a master's degree in that. He was the water conservation specialist for Santa Clara Valley Water District. He was the water conservation manager at Otay, I'm sorry, Otay Water District. And currently he's the water conservation administrator for the city of Sacramento. And he's also president of the California Irrigation Institute uh, 2017 board members. And he's been on that board since 2007. So welcome to the short the show, William. Why, thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's great to be here. How's the weather up in Sacramento? You know, we uh, we've had we had a pretty wet 
October, but it's been a little dry. But it's all supposed to change on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, looking at your background with a background in geography, can you tell us uh, how did you become uh, involved in the water conservation field? Well, you know, like a lot of folks going through college, I was taking some classes trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I came across a uh, resource conservation class. And um, shortly after that, I really enjoyed that class. Shortly after that, I I had a chance to um, check one really two, focus two. on geography, and um, and I got interested in Phoenix versus Tucson and why they really differed so much and how much they used water. So um, really, just kind of got fascinated with the topic of a sense of place and and differences between two cities that are a couple hundred miles from each other, if that, and why one used so much water, more water than the other. And um, so that's kind of how I got started and decided to continue the, the uh, study of geography and resource conservation when I moved to San Diego. Oh. Well, you know, uh, William, you've also recently moved from San Diego to Sacramento, uh, we used to share plane rides to Sacramento to go to the CII conference, and I remember you telling me you were going to move there and, and that it was going to be much different. And, you know, there's a lot of precipitation up there, usually, uh, and there's very little here. Maybe you can kind of compare and contrast the two cities in terms of water availability, investment in infrastructure, and commitment to conservation. Uh, probably a little bit like you did the Phoenix and Tucson situation, contrasting San yeah, Diego so- and Sacramento. So, yeah, moved to uh, Sacramento and uh, quickly realized that uh, things weren't looking so good statewide and, and locally. Um, I, I, I felt like maybe I was responsible for the, the drought, but uh, I was there for about nine months, and, and then we declared a, a, a drought both in the city and, and statewide. But, um, yeah, on an average year, we get about 24 inches of, of precipitation in Sacramento, and we were lucky to get maybe 10 inches in San Diego, if that. Um, in, in Sacramento, we have two rivers that run right through our community, and, um, you know, there there had been some resistance to, to metering in the past, but, you know, I came on board to really step up the water conservation program in the, in the city and, and have had a chance to really implement some, some great new programs. Um, the city of Sacramento has invested pretty heavily in a technology called advanced metering infrastructure where we can tell customers if they have a leak. So um, really great technology. We've reached out to customers and, and really informed them quite quickly that we suspect that they have uh, what appears to be a leak on our end. Um, so we reach out to them, and, and that's been a great program. We've also rolled out a number of incentive programs. <clears throat> I will say compared to, to San Diego, where I was for about 11 years, water is just a lot more scarce down there. It has to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles, so it tends to be a lot more expensive. And, and down there, um, I think as a lot of folks know, the, there's a desal plant that came online not so long ago, um, and so there's a lot more uh, investment in in more expensive water, but it's really helped them uh, ensure that water is there. Um, but more investment, I'd say, in desal and also in recycled water um, compared to, to Sacramento, where traditionally water has been pretty cheap and, and just flowed right by us. Well, you know, the water boards recently commended the city of Sacramento for maintaining conservation measures, even when there wasn't any more mandatory uh, requirements. What was your thinking about that, and and how did your public respond to that? You know, I would say that um, the thinking behind that was we weren't in a declared water shortage for all that long, and and we're having a lot of great results from it. Our our customers, uh, the citizens of the city, really responded to the message. We had differing targets. Uh, at one point, it was a 28% reduction. Uh, it 
was reduced down to 25 percent and um and then more recently i think it was in may the the state board said hey we're going to let you all being the water agencies throughout the state tell us if you feel that you have a water shortage and even though it didn't look like we needed to uh, set a water shortage we felt that the right message uh and the way for us to continue to be leaders was to have a a 20% reduction target. So we maintained our water use reduction um, target and remained in the stage two. We kept up our proactive efforts to, to get out there and educate customers and inform them of our watering schedule. And, you know, it's a bit challenging when not the entire city is fully metered, but across the board we've been out there telling folks about the, the watering schedule, which just last week changed to a one-day-a-week schedule, so we have um, been working to get the word out about that schedule, that schedule change. So I bet that, uh, William, I bet that was kind of a contrast, too, between San Diego and Sacramento in that not all of the city of Sacramento is metered, and I would imagine that San Diego definitely is, right? Yeah, San Diego's been metered for a while, and I think a lot of that is, you know, the, the cost to bring water to a, a semi-arid region um, yep. that's really driven, dro- drove them a long time ago to, to put in meters. Sure, uh, the city sure. of Sacramento actually, um, because of the drought, felt that we should accelerate our meter installation program. So we'll be fully metered in about three years, so by oh. the end of 2020. Oh, well, that's great. That's not, not, too, not too long. It so really is. One election cycle away. So Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm curious, how exactly does the city help its citizens reduce uh, outdoor watering? And, and what does it do if people don't reduce water consumption? Are there fines or fees? So um, what we do is we, we're out there proactively patrolling. Um, we're, we have a staff of about six water conservation specialists and representatives, plus we get help from other parts of the city uh, to really expand that number during this drought. And um, they're out there, actually, they see watering on, they're leaving door tags, and it it can escalate to a pretty significant fine, but the first notice carries no fine, and the second one actually drives people to take our class. We have a water conservation class on Saturdays about once a month, and folks can take that class and get a $50 fine removed from their water bill. So that's been a great um, way to get the word out. We also use social media like a lot of other agencies to uh, make folks aware of the watering schedule change. Before the drought, we had a one-day-per-week schedule that kicked in right around November until March. So we've actually not changed that. We just are a lot more proactive in, in promoting that one-day-per-week schedule. Wow. So um, the other thing, too, you, you asked about what we do if people don't reduce their water consumption is we just persist. We follow up with them. Um, we have people throughout the city will circulate back to an area to see if, um, if that customer has adjusted their watering. Also, people in the city can report water misuse by using an app. An app um, in the city of Sacramento, you can use a 311 app to report a lot of different things, including water misuse. And it'll come to my office, and we'll send somebody out there to investigate. So we take it very seriously, and yeah. um, I think we've done a great job. We're holding pretty steady at about a 25% reduction. Um, through the, the for the for the year at this point. And do any other agencies have this Saturday class? I don't think I've ever heard of that before. It's kind of like um, like a traffic school, like a traffic school. <laughs> and I wonder how people respond to to learning about water, which a lot of people they're kind of clueless about it. So, is, do they respond well or? Uh, yeah, have, have you been able to follow up and say that that training worked, the Saturday training worked or not? We see very few repeat <laughs> repeat <laughs> visitors, but 
<laughs> okay, it must be working. It must be working. Well, you're not you're not as tough as the, you're not as tough as the traffic schools down here because even if you get a ticket and you go to traffic school, you still have to pay the fine. You just get it taken off your record. You still got to pay the dollars. That's true. Well, we we only let them take the class once every two years. So, um, but we do get folks occasionally say, "Hey, I, I got another notice of violation." But for the most part, we are seeing good response to that class. We try to keep it positive. We we talk about the ways to avoid getting um, a notice from us, and, and we really talk about our incentive programs because we have an irrigation upgrade program. We have a, a turf grass conversion program for front lawns. We have a smart controller a rebate program where this time of year it's reducing the water based off of the fact that here we are in nearly uh, mid-November. So um, yeah. with all those yeah. programs that we have, it, we use that class to try to help get the word out about uh, the incentives that we offer to customers. Yeah, that's great. Do, you, do other agencies have such a class, or are you the only one in the state? You know, I have talked to some other agencies. I've, um, I've talked to the city of Santa Cruz, and they do have a class. I've talked to the city of San Diego about our class and the uh, origins behind it. And um, Santa Cruz does have a, a similar class. They structured it a little bit differently, but they've had good success with, with their program. Um, and, and we did regionally offer a uh, water conservation class, um, but it is pretty unique to the city of Sacramento. Yeah, kudos to you. That sounds great. Are you guys on a tiered rate system? Not just yet. So I think in a in a couple of years, as we get closer to being fully metered, that's definitely something that we'll be looking into. And just quickly, speaking on meters, um, so I know I know for years Sacramento, a lot of areas didn't have meters. So what happens when you guys put meters on? Is there a new? Is there a charge for the installation and for the equipment, or that's just done automatically? Uh, so, yeah, the meters installed, there's typically a uh, comparative billing period that lasts a, lasts a year. And uh, a lot of folks take advantage of the opportunity to uh, start paying uh, volumetric to, volumetrically. So um, they, they decide, hey, you know what, I want to start paying now for the water that I use. Uh, but we do give them a year grace period. That's good. So you've served on the uh, California Irrigation Institute Board of Directors for, for many years, and this year you're president, so congratulations. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization's upcoming conference in January? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yes, this year we have our conference in Sacramento, and we have a great lineup. Uh, the conference is uh, on January 30th and 31st, and uh, one of the things that we we try to do is really kick it off with a great keynote speaker. So we have Dr. Jay Famiglietti. Um, a lot of folks may have heard about him. He's, he's talked a bit about groundwater in California. And um, I think he's going to really get people thinking about water. And um, so we're excited about him. And then we have a great uh, panel coming in after him. Uh, it, it is a two-day conference. It's really, I think, uh, focused on, on kind of cutting-edge issues, what's going on in the state, how are water agencies and communities responding to some of the, some of the changes that are happening. So we try to really bring it down um, beyond just policy and discussions of, hey, this legislation is coming, but how are, how are agencies responding to that and what are they doing? And, 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 and farmers, you know, the conference is really addressing urban ag and That's environmental right. issues, yeah. which is nice. And yeah, so the, more, the conference more is solutions. Ag and urban. Yeah. And it, it's an irrigation conference, so there is a very strong ag component to it as well as, as urban. So um, we're really trying to make folks aware of where the water comes from, how they use it, um, and some of the latest and greatest technologies are are discussed at this conference. We have a lot of great uh, vendors there that will be talking about what they're doing for um, water efficiency and 
improving uh, irrigation efficiency. Is that uh, open to the public or just the industry people? Uh, anyone can sign up. There's um, a website where you can register. It's caii.org. And if you have um, late January open on your calendar, you may want to come on up to, to Sacramento and, and check out the conference. We, uh, we also have a great uh, luncheon speaker, uh, Chris Austin, who's pretty well known in the water industry. She uh, writes a blog about water, and she's going to be our uh, luncheon speaker. So we're excited about her. And I think actually she came on this uh, this show a little earlier. So um, was it about a month or so ago, Ingi? Yeah, she was a guest about a month and a half ago, and that's when I was saying, yeah, we've got to have her up at the conference as well. And I'm really excited about that. And and the conference this year, you had William. You've done a great job uh, leading the organization this year. And we do have a, I think a, a spectacular lineup. And uh, again, solutions based rather than just talking problems, problems, problems. We have some uh, a lot of talks this year on solutions. So uh, thank you again for your for your leadership this year. It's it's been a lot of fun. Just one one last question. Um, I, last time I was up at the uh, governor's office and, and John Laird's office, I noticed that the uh, the lawn of the uh, state capitol still doesn't look really good. But I've been also reading that due to the drought and over the last couple of years that there's been a severe loss of trees. Have you seen that more in your area, and what is your view on that? So loss of trees is definitely a real issue, especially in the city of Sacramento. Um, we've we've definitely seen it, um, and it's it's definitely a point of emphasis in the city, in the region, to hopefully educate people as to how to irrigate those those trees. So I think a lot of people's knee jerk reaction when there's a drought declared is to just stop watering, and um, you know those trees are used to to getting regular water, and then suddenly. If you stop watering them, they really they really suffer. So we've made a concerted effort to try to uh, educate customers about how to irrigate their trees, and that's definitely something that we'll be emphasizing a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on how it shakes out this this next this next rain year. Yep. Hopefully, we'll get rain. Well, anyway, we hopefully yeah. We, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it was really good information for our listeners. And, uh, Inge, any last words on uh, William? Yeah, no, thank you, William. Uh, it's been a pleasure serving with you on the CII board, and I'm uh, pleased to hear more about what you're doing in SAC. And uh, keep, up the, keep up the great work. All right, thank you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. All right. well, we're going to take a little break. A little break. We'll be back to the Water Zone in a minute. And uh, you're listening to the Water Zone on KCAA Radio in San Bernardino. So stay tuned. We'll be back. Welcome back to the uh, Water Zone. We appreciate everybody listening. If you want to call in, we have some great, uh, another great guest. Uh, local numbers are 909-888-5222. And if you're calling outside the 909 area code, please do 888-909-1050. Uh, that was a great guest we had. Uh, we have another good one. Uh, Ingi, I'll let you do the honors. Yes, uh, we have Mike Wade on tonight. Um, he's the executive director of the California Farm Water Coalition. Mike, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very, you're very welcome. We look forward to learning more about your organization. Just by way of introduction for our listening audience, let me uh, tell them a little bit about you. You joined the California Farm Water Coalition, a statewide um, nonprofit organized headquartered in uh, Sacramento as executive director in 1998, and you've overseen the organization's public education and media relations efforts and served as a contact for California's irrigated agriculture uh, community since. You've also been the executive director of the Ag Water Management Council, which was a clearinghouse for ag water suppliers in the process of developing uh, efficient water management practices resulting from the legislation, um, AB 3616. And prior to joining the coalition and uh, the Ag Water Management Council, you served 11 years as the executive director of the Merced County Farm Bureau. 
And during that time, you represented ag interests while appearing at hearings at the county, state, and national levels as well. Your specific areas of interest have been agriculture and marketing and state air regulations and public relations and labor. So welcome to the show, Mike. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for that nice introduction. You're welcome. So you've been doing this for 20 years. Tell us how uh, it formed and why, and how you transitioned from the Farm Bureau to the coalition. Sure. Uh, great question. I um, uh, the, the Farm Water Coalition was formed in 1989. It was right in the middle of California's last extended drought, the 87 to 92 drought, and the, the people that formed our organization wanted to, to create something, an entity that provided fact-based information on agricultural water issues to the public. So we had lots of organizations, including the Farm Bureau and others, that were doing lobbying and doing a great job, and we didn't need more of that. What our founders wanted to see was uh, an entity that could help the public understand irrigation issues from an agricultural perspective, how farmers use water, why they do what they do, the amount of food and fiber that's grown on California's farms, and uh, the importance of agriculture to California's economy. Agriculture's... Oh, I'm so, sorry, go on. Well, I was just curious about who, who were those uh, initial founders that had this vision? Sure. Um, one of our... Interestingly, one of our founding organizations was Turlock Irrigation District, which has a, oh. the distinction of being the first publicly funded irrigation district that was formed in California way back in 1887 under the Wright Act. And so Turlock and uh, Modesto and a few others around the Central Valley uh, felt that it, we needed an education organization, and that's that's what they developed. And Remarkably, uh, our mission has not changed. We focus on the same things we did then. There's still the importance of having a strong voice for agricultural water users. And while times change, sometimes they don't. We still face many of the same questions that people have about farming. And we're always there and happy to answer them. Well, one of your, uh, you, you were kind enough to uh, provide us with some uh, infographics, which if anybody's watching on the Ustream, we're going to put that up here. Uh, our engineer is uh, rapidly rushing to put that on. And it shows that California farmers have drastically improved their irrigation efficiency over the past years. Can you elaborate a little bit more for our audience and, and, and really tell them what's happening? Because it's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of uninformed people who have different ideas of really what's going on. Sure. Um, there's a lot of misinformation about how farmers use water and how much water is actually being used. But when you look at the data, total ag water use in California has been relatively constant over the last 50 years. If you look at a chart on how much water was used in the 1960s versus how much is used today, that line is, is pretty flat. I mean, it goes up sometimes, it goes down sometimes. But we're using about the same amount of water that we did 50 years ago. And the trend now is, is actually downward through water use efficiency and through um, conversion of farmland to other uses. We're actually using less water than we did in many years prior to this. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the good news when you talk about agricultural water use, even though we're still using about the same that we did in the 1960s, we're producing 43% more food products than, than we did then. So that is really an efficient, efficient use of water. It, it's been done through technology investments. Farmers regularly use tools like laser leveling or GPS control on tractors. There's been huge investments in drip and micro-irrigation over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, to the tune of about $3 billion. And farmers are doing what they can to be more efficient for a variety of reasons, and that's showing up in in the flat line, really, of the amount of water that we use. Producing more and using yet less. That's, uh, that's really our mission. That's what we need to do. Well, another one of your infographics shows that 
the water required by farmers to grow food is far less than the amount of water required to feed the people in the state. So that may sound kind of funny, but it's clear if you look at the graphic. Can you can you explain that? Sure. Uh, for your viewers that can see the graphic, um, there are blue and green bars. If you if you don't have that up on new screen, um, what we have is an image of the state and various regions around the state with vertical bars that represent the amount of water used to grow the food in in on California farmland and vertical blue bars, which represent the amount of water that's consumed in the food that people all over the state buy and bring home to their families. And what we found in our assessment is we actually we consume more water through the food that we're, we're eating every day in our homes than the amount of total food that farmers are growing. Now, we have to make sure people understand California isn't a closed system. So we have a lot of farm products that, that go to other states and other countries, and we import a lot of food products and other things uh, into the United States that are consumable items from food and, and everything else that comes in here. But if we were to only look at California as simply what do we grow, you know, how much water is used to grow all the food that we do and how much water is consumed in the food, we actually fall short by about 20%. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, I, I like the graphic because it brings home the idea that, you know, we humans have a water footprint as well, um, and the, the farm water produces the food, and that should be in the tally of how much we're using in addition to, you know, the uh, uh, what we use in the home and the outdoor watering and so forth, but um, the products that clothe us and feed us also have a water um footprint as well. So nice nice job on that, Mike. Yep. Right. You know, that that's a great point. Um, we saw a study that was done in Australia that actually quantified all the water that's consumed by people in a given area, in an urban area, for instance, or across, they did it for, for Australia, but across the, the country. And they quantified the amount of water that is in the clothes you wear. And then... Um, factored that out for the length of time that you might own a pair of pants or a, a shirt and the bedding on your, uh, the sheets and on your bed and the towels and, and the food you consume. And their number remarkably flip-flopped and showed that consumers, when you count all the water that's in everything we consume from the food to the clothes we wear to the things in our homes, is about 80% of the water that gets consumed uh, in you know, in human use. And, you know, we, it, it's a different way to look at it, and I think it, it's eye-opening when people think about it that way, that farmers don't grow food on the farm and it stays there. It goes into the market, and it meets a demand where people are buying a head of lettuce or broccoli or um, some carrots, which is sending a signal to a farmer to plant those products because somebody's buying them, and the water used to grow them travels with those products and are ultimately consumed in the home. Well, some of, yeah. the, some of the sources say that, you know, the ag uses 80% of the water allocated to human use, but only contributes back 2% to the state's GDP. So how does how does agriculture industry respond to that pressure? What do, what do they say? What do they do? How do they educate the un, uneducated? Sure. Thanks, Rob. The um, The important thing to think about in this, and this is a question that we've received. In fact, it was part of the rationale on why the Farm Water Coalition was formed in 1989, and it's this mistaken belief that that farms use 80% of the state's water. But we've focused on facts throughout our history, and the fact on this matter is, um, according to the Department of Water Resources, we dedicate 50% of the developed water in the state to protect the environment. And Governor Brown said that in a TV interview in 2014, and um, it's a fact that we've been using for years, but um, about half of the water that we, we use in the state goes to protect the environment. Around 40% is used on the farm to grow food that's been 
sold through the market, and around 10% of our um, developed and dedicated water is used in the home and in industrial purposes. So it's about a 50-40-10 split when you look at the environment, agriculture, and urban use. You know, last yeah. sorry, last week just interject real quick. Last week I was talking about some articles that I have read about some people saying, "Hey, you know, their ag is using so much water, and we ought to just move all that stuff to some other state and take it all away." I, I don't think that's one realistic. Two, it will kill the economy in in California because we're a big producer in, in, in the country for that. And, and, and you're going to see businesses close and things happen. What's, what's your organization's perception of that? And how do you, how do you go back to the, again, I'll call it the uneducated people who just keep making claims like that? Well, we want to remind people that California is the one of only five Mediterranean climates on earth. And it's the only one in uh, North America. So when you look at, the climate itself, where you've got wet winters and hot, dry summers, plus the wonderful alluvial soils that we have in many parts of the state, the, and the weather that we have, the, the, the growing conditions are perfect here for, for farm products. Um, you can't replicate what we do in California anywhere else in the country or in very many places around the world. So if we were to reduce the amount of food products that we grow in the state, we're not only going to be shortchanging ourselves because of the proximity to fresh, locally grown products, we're going to be finding different things in the market because we simply can't grow the 300, 400 varieties of crops that we do here in, in the Golden State really anywhere else in the country. Yeah, we really do have a unique resource here. Um, But as we recognized in planning for this year's CII conference, it it does seem like we will probably have a reduction in ag um, acres in the state um, for a number of reasons and or that some of the lower-value crops will be converting to higher-value crops that not necessarily lose less water or use less water, but... um, um, bring back more return per, you know, more more uh, income per unit of water. You know, farmers are good at optimizing that part of it. So we may we may see some changes. Would you agree with um, with that scenario that that we've heard and are presenting in the conference this year? Yes, there's nothing there I could disagree with. When you look at agriculture's history in California, it has been under constant change. We can go back to the 1850s and 1860s when California was really a big um, dry land grain state. And a lot of the people that came here during the gold rush and didn't strike it rich either returned to their homes in the Midwest or they returned to the, the uh, jobs that they had in the Midwest and the careers, and a lot of them were farmers. And so they started farming the crops that they knew how to grow back in Kansas and, uh, and, and Iowa and other states. And um, a lot of those were grain crops. But it was too expensive to ship them on the railroad to the markets in the east. And that's when we started seeing the first change in agriculture in the state around the turn of the 20th century. Um, people were growing more fruits and vegetables. At the time, higher-value crops that were affordable to ship to markets in the east. And... Even in the 1980s, we grew about a million acres of cotton in California, and that has changed since uh, since that time. We're down about 80%. There's maybe 200,000 acres of cotton left in California because it's responding to market changes. Farmers respond to consumer demand, and we're seeing that again as, as water reliability has declined and water costs increased then farmers look for crops that they can grow, that they believe they'll be able to sell at a profit. And that leads to, you know, the higher-value crops that we're seeing. Yeah, more fruit, nuts, and vegetables. And as Rob was mentioning, I mean, all of the alfalfa will never leave the state because of the dairy and cattle industry. But but for sure, um, I think the farmers are 
adopting more efficient technologies, as you mentioned, like uh, drip irrigation or subsurface drip irrigation, even for alfalfa. So that's that's helping. Uh, you know, uh, flood irrigation is all often defended by the ag community because it helps recharge the groundwater basins. But it's also been linked to nitrate contamination of groundwater. And there's been a great idea bounced around here lately to deliberately recharge the groundwater by flooding cropland during the winter months and then irrigating and fertigating more efficiently during the growing season. So what's your take on that? Well, first of all, flood irrigation uh, is not as inefficient as a lot of people think it is. Um, it, it is not as efficient as sprinkler or drip and micro, but it's not horribly inefficient either. Um, but one of the benefits of flood irrigation is you get a decent amount of groundwater recharge. And for many years, all of that was happening, and it it was free. It wasn't costing anything. And now, with the advent of high-efficiency irrigation and the shift to um, drip and micro, we're not getting the recharge that we once had. And so farmers and irrigation researchers and water policy experts are looking to solutions. And one of them has been exactly what you described, flooding cropland in the winter in order to recharge groundwater. And um, I think it's the University of California at Davis partnering with the Almond Board to do some uh, test studies in almonds to see what their susceptibility is or their ability to withstand flooding in the winter and be able to recharge groundwater aquifers. And so far, the, the results have been, been very promising, that we're able to get water back in the ground at a time of year when it's available, and it's not harmful to the cropland or the, the trees that are growing on the cropland. So it's, it's promising, and we're optimistic about projects like that. Yeah, it's almost uh, going back to let the rivers flood the valley in the wintertime like they used to before you know we developed them. Let them go back to flooding uh, the lands that are, are close by and recharge that groundwater. Great, great idea. Well, um, Mike, the coalition has also been very supportive of the California Irrigation Institute, which we talked a little bit about with uh, William Granger, our previous guest, who is president this year of CII. And we talked a little bit about the conference, and I'd also like to to uh, give you a chance to weigh in and uh, tell about your experience with the conference and, and um, maybe share with the listening audience why you think it has value. Well, that's a great question. Uh, the CII conference, I think, is probably the longest-running, continuously-running uh, irrigation conference in California. I believe it's been around for 60-plus years or so, and it's, uh, there's no accident. I mean, there's a reason for that, and it's because, from my experience, the conference always attracts top-name speakers, experts in the industry, people that are working on uh, cutting-edge technology, and it is a great place to go to find out what's happening in irrigation. And that's why we've attended in the past and continue to attend. Uh, it's a great place to meet people and to, to learn what the latest is in irrigation technology. And we also we love the trade show. There's lots of great exhibits there and people with, with uh, new items and new irrigation technology that, that's coming on the market. So... Uh, it's really a, a great all-around conference and one that's really worth attending. Yeah, well, thank you for that, and thank and thank you again for your support over over the years and helping uh, uh, as as executive director and uh, your you know ag contacts. It's been very helpful to make the conference continue to be successful. And I think it's uh, I think it's the fifty fourth year this year. So. Um, um, yeah, running strong. We we have a great lineup, and we're looking forward to its success again in this coming January. Well, Rob, do you have any other questions? If you don't, I have a little bit of a follow-up one on that other infographic, but uh, I wanted no, to give you a chance to ask uh, Mike anything that you had uh, gnawing at you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, Mike, you know, we talked about the infographic of uh, how 
you know, farmers grow food to feed people, and that there may there, there's a consciousness going. I think the Western Growers um, states it nicely that never before have people become so interested and um, curious about the food they eat at precisely the same moment in time when they are more detached from where their food comes from versus any time in history. <laughs> so there, there is a population that really cares, uh, is becoming to, uh, coming to care about, you know, a lot of details about the food they eat. And I think there could be a trend in people caring about the water footprint of the food they eat. Now, the infographic, again, drives home the fact that, that people should be also looking at their own water footprint as we said, the the food you know the food they eat and the clothes they wear, and I think that might drive producers to care more about getting the most crop and the the most um, income per drop of water as well. Uh, do you do you feel that trend going on at all in your membership that uh, in the, you know the community that you represent that they're responding to the public's desire for? Hey, we want to eat appropriately grown food, for lack of a better term. We absolutely see that trend. Uh, I know numerous farmers. I know them personally that uh, that are anxious to share the information from their farms. They welcome tours. They want people to know what's happening, how they take care of their workers, how how they're careful about irrigation and fertilizer management. They, uh, they are mindful of environmental resources and really uh, are putting the environment first. I mean, it sounds like, oh, come on, farmers, putting the environment first. But what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing and uh, when I talk to people is they recognize that agriculture is not going to be strong in California unless we have a strong and a viable healthy environment. And so um, we're seeing many people that that host environmental resources on their farms. They devote water and land resources to habitat. Um, they're, they're careful about runoff, uh, that, that it's not um, toxic or polluting in any way, and they, you know, make sure that the things that they do help preserve the limited resources we have here in the state. So uh, I would agree with you completely, Amy, that um, that, that is the trend, and um, it's easier and easier to do my job every day to be able to get people out and see what's happening on the farm. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Rob, I think I think that's a wrap. I think we're our time is up. Mike, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, that was very informative. Uh, Rob, did you have anything you yeah, wanted got, to add? Yeah, I got one one quickie question. I know, Inge, you brought up in a, in a previous show on how people waste food, and all that food is wasted, and all the water that it took to grow that is wasted and to prepare that. So that's that's one thing people gotta look at. And I hope I hope we don't get crazy and, and, and worry about well this you know we're not gonna be making you know not gonna be growing cotton anymore. Because I hate to see the world running around all naked. That's not gonna be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I know on my cruise that I just got back I didn't waste any food. If you're watching on T V you can see I didn't waste any food. Um, and my wife tells me I need to get in shape and I said I am, I'm around. But 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 anyway, I, I mean that that's you know that's the other other side of it. I mean, you, you can get people to go, like I said, who are promoting to get rid of agriculture in, in California, you, you know, and, and yet there, there are a lot of those people that throw away food or don't finish their plates, and you're wasting food on that. What? How, how do you try to explain that to people, that there's got to be a, a sensible balance between having water and having agriculture and, and things of that sort? Because that, that seems to be people don't really – at least my opinion, they, uh, you know, if, if they're on the side of removing everything and taking it away, it's sort of draconian method. And, and I don't think the, the country or California can survive by doing things like that. We need right. to eat more well, leftovers. I'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have a leftover restaurant, I guess. But There, there you go. Well, that's a great question. And I would just simply tell people that California grows the kinds of food that healthcare professionals encourage us to eat more of the fresh fruits and vegetables. 
We have um, fantastic growing conditions here. It's right in our own backyard. There's no need to increase your water or your energy footprint by bringing products in from other states or other countries when we have it all right here. And to give that up would be a shame, and we just want especially California consumers to remember that and to think about it when they go to the store and when they think about water policy, whether we want to be growing food here under carefully monitored conditions or do we want to depend on other countries for our food supply. And uh, I think most people would realize that what we have here is a great thing and we need to support the farming in California. How, do, how, do, how does somebody get a hold of you or your organization to learn more about what you guys are doing? Well, our office is in Sacramento, and we have a great website at farmwater.org, farmwater.org, and you're welcome to visit. We've got lots of great information there, and our contact information as well. Anyone's welcome to shoot me an email or give me a call or uh, any of our staff, and we'll be happy to share whatever information we have on agricultural water use. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mike, and... uh, yeah, buy, buy local, go California Ag. We like that. Well, thank you very much, and we just want people to remember our slogan, food grows where water flows. And thank you for having <laughs> me on your show. Thank, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike, very much. Any, any uh, last-minute uh, words? we got another two minutes to go. And what's your impression of how you see the world from your, from your view? Well, it was a warm day again in uh, <laughs> sunny Southern California for the middle of November. It's... Uh, it's daunting. I, I wish we would get some more rain, but uh, on a good note, we did get some precipitation and some snow and some snowpack earlier in, um, uh, or, or, yeah, earlier in October, I guess. But, yep. um, yeah, the prognosis is not that great. Um, I think the forecasters are saying more of the same, so... Um, I have to call in that uh, water train company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people... Um, Keep being diligent about uh, being efficient with your your home water use. Um, Think about your water footprint and what you buy and where it's buying from. There's food miles to think about and water footprint and how things are produced. As Mike said, um, you know, drip irrigation, California farmers have done a great job in spending billions of dollars over the years to invest in better technology. 